I invite you, church, to open with me to Malachi chapter 1 this morning. Malachi chapter 1. I heard some murmuring. Some of y'all are like, hey, where is that? And what is that? Uh, Listen, I'll give you a little bit of a roadmap just for a second. If you get to the gospel of Matthew in the New Testament or Mark, Luke, or John, just take a left-hand turn and go to the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the very last book. It's a little four-chapter book right there at the end of the Old Testament. And while you're still trying to hunt that down, I've got to confess something to you as a very young pastor and still very inexperienced. I ask for your grace often, and this morning is no different. Um, last year, I, I set out to, to set out a, a sermon calendar for this year. And I was talking to our music team in the back just now, and I said, you know, I felt great about that sermon calendar. I prayed over it. I gave careful consideration, making sure that we made it to to really every place in Scripture, a good mix of the Old Testament, a good mix of the New Testament, and even some obscure books like this. And we carefully study these books and, and drink deeply from the Word of God. And as I worked through that, I gave little thought to something very important, and that was this, the holiday calendar. So I can guarantee you this, I am probably the only pastor in the history of pastors that has started a new sermon series, much less in the book of Malachi on 4th of July. So just hang with me, I I will say, obviously this sermon is not going to be explicitly patriotic in any way, uh, but I do believe it's a good word for the church. And I want to explain to you also how this is a good good word for the church at this particular time in our nation's history. Have you ever found yourself in a season of waiting for a prolonged period of time on God? Have you ever found yourself in a period of of waiting and wondering, where in the world is God? What is he up to? Is he ever going to, to move in this way in my life? What am I doing at this point in time? If you're like me, you found yourself in many seasons just like that. And here's what happens during those seasons. I believe we creep ever so steadily into a state of apathy. We creep into this state of apathy. What is apathy? Apathy is simply looking at something and not giving little thought to it or little concern about it. And so regarding our Christian lives, if we're in a season of waiting and wondering, what is God up to? We creep into this place of spiritual apathy and spiritual decay. Some might say that we begin to just go through the motions. We just check all the boxes. If we're going to talk about the context of the church now, at this season of our country's history, I think we can all relate to that. As the church, we can look at our culture and society and say, God, I don't know what you're up to. I don't know what you're doing in the midst of all of this madness and chaos and difficulty. But if we're not careful in asking that question, we also fall into this state of apathy. The book of Malachi, we're going to be here for the next nine weeks. It's just four chapters, but there's a lot in this little book. And the overall message of Malachi is this. We need to take seriously who God has called us to be and what his expectations of us are. I'm going to say at the outset, this is not an easy book of the Bible. This is not one that I just jumped out of bed this morning and said, man, I'm so excited about preaching from Malachi. It is a strong and harsh word at times. But here's what I want you to hold on to over the next nine weeks. 
there is still this thread of God's grace interwoven through every word, every verse, and every chapter. Even this morning, as we walk through only the first verse of this book, hold on to that and remember that in the middle of all of this, God is still sovereign. God is still working in the lives of his people, even as they are waiting on the Messiah. The big idea of the sermon this morning as we look at just one verse, and it was difficult to land on what would be the main idea of this one verse, but it is this. Even in the waiting, God has an important word for his people. Even in seasons of long, exhausting waiting, God is still speaking to his people. He still wants their attention, and he desires for their hearts to be bent towards him. If I were to pose a big question to you this morning that I want you to hold on to because we'll come back to this at the end of the sermon. If, it's, if this is where I would say we're, we're headed today and the decision I want all of us to arrive at, it would be this. Would you consider taking an inventory of your own spiritual condition today? If we're going to take seriously the word of God, if we're going to recognize that even in seasons of prolonged waiting, he has a word for us, the question for us is this. Would we just consider taking an inventory of our spiritual condition? I'm not going to ask you to make a big, elaborate step in any sort of direction this morning. I'm not going to ask you, and God's word is not going to ask us this morning to take a big step of faithfulness today. But the only plea that this word makes to us this morning is this. Would you just consider it worth your while over the next nine weeks to take an inventory of where you stand before the Lord? With that in mind, would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, Malachi chapter 1, and only verse 1. A pronouncement, or an oracle, your Bible may say. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word Lord, I've confessed before your people today that in, in coming to this passage and, and, and realizing several weeks ago this is where we were headed, I thought, oh boy. But Lord, you are sovereign and you are good. And you knew we would be here today. And you have a reason for us to begin looking at this particular little book of the Bible. And God, I pray that this morning you begin us on a road of considering our position before you our conduct, our apathy, our walk with you. God, I pray that we all move just one step closer this morning towards considering who we are before you. Use your word as only you can. Empower the proclamation of your word and the reading of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. There are three words in verse number one that really set the stage for everything in the book of Malachi. You know it's not in my character or my approach typically or my style of preaching to preach on only one verse. Well, what we're going to do this morning is look at this one verse and understand that through three simple words here, there is an overview given of the book of Malachi. So this, everything that is said today is foundational to what's coming in the weeks ahead. And so I encourage you to listen carefully. We have the listening guides there. Take some good notes because it's going to let you know, hey, this is where we're headed for the next eight weeks. All right? So first of all, we see this in verse 1. We must treasure hearing from God. We must treasure hearing from God. 
Notice in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord to Israel. We may read very quickly past the nation of Israel there because that subject and that group of people is so commonplace in the Old Testament. But I want us to understand who Israel had been up until this point, who Israel was, and where they were headed. Because all of that paints a great picture for the message of the book of Malachi. First of all, let's understand where Israel had been. And I'll go ahead and warn you, we're going to go to Sunday school this morning for just a second. We're going to walk through some, perhaps what you may think, some dry details of the Old Testament. But I really hope that this helps put together the overall story of the Old Testament for you. Understand that Israel had recently returned from what is called the Babylonian exile. Now, I know that's probably some historical event. You have no idea what that is, and that's okay. I fully expected that. To understand what that is and what that event was and how significant it was in the life of Israel and how it impacts today's message, we need to walk all the way back to the book of Genesis to understand where God actually set apart and chose for himself a people. In Genesis, we see this, that God chooses and sets apart a people for himself. You go into Exodus, and we see that God then delivers his people from slavery in Egypt. Again, emphasis here, his people. He is walking with his people all throughout this time. In the Le Leviticus through Deuteronomy, we see that God reaffirms his covenant with his people. In, in spite of the situation they just walked out of, he says, listen, I am still your God, and these are my expectations for you as my covenant people. In Joshua, God begins to deliver on his promise of giving them a land for their inheritance. And so you read in Joshua all these great military battles of the Old Testament, how God was giving them victories over foreign lands so they would have a place to call their own as his people. In Judges, this really dark time in Israel's history, Israel rejected God, and so God gave them judges to rule over them, these really broken rulers. By the time you get to Samuel, God then initiates his kingship in Israel through David. Then you go into Kings and Chronicles, and a series of bad kings begin to follow up on David's lineage. These bad kings, they lead Israel as a people into some very dark places. Now, here's where I really want you to lean in and listen close, because this is where it becomes very relevant to today's message. Understand that all along the way, in this series of bad kings, the prophets are speaking to, his, to the people. The prophets are speaking to the kings themselves. And they are saying very simply, listen, this is who your God is. This is the worship he is indeed worthy of. And you better listen because judgment is coming. Well, of course, if you know the Old Testament, they didn't listen at all. And we find that the nation of Israel splits into two. Israel and Judah, a northern and a southern kingdom. And then God takes them into exile, this period of time that was really dark. It was, in fact, the darkest period in Israel's history. It lasted for almost 200 years. The point being that during that time, God allowed generations to die off, those who were disobedient to him all along the way. And so then we arrive at Malachi. We went that whole journey for us to get to this point. God has now brought his people out of exile. In spite of their disobedience before, God has saw them through that time, and he still has this people for himself. And so Malachi, this last word in the Old Testament, begins to speak to God's people once again. That's who Israel was. 
Secondly, understand where Israel was at this, at this point in time when Malachi was written. Israel was still in a state of moral decay. You think they would get the picture. You think that all along this way, God is seeing them through. He's delivering his people. He's preserving his people. They go to exile and they're judged and they hear these stories of judgment and how awful that was. And yet we get to Malachi and we find that over and over again over these four chapters, we find evidence that they are still a very broken people. But also notice where Israel was going. It doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. Because following all of this, a period of about 400 years of silence was on the way. After the closing of the book of Malachi, 400 years began to elapse before Jesus would actually come on the scene. What's the point of all of this? Why in the world would I walk you through all of that history? It's for this reason. No matter where God's people have been, or where they are going, he desires relationship with them and is speaking to them along the way. When we read this word, Israel, in verse 1, it is loaded with meaning. God had every right to say, nope, I've had enough. I've already judged you over and over again, and I've shown you the wickedness of your heart. And yet he comes back to them again through his messenger Malachi and he says, you're still my people. I still have a plan for you. I still have expectations for you. I still am preserving the family line of David through you so that there would be a Messiah. And God calls out over and over again to them over these four chapters, you are still my people. Church, listen. In seasons of waiting, don't forget that you are still his people. He still desires relationship with you. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know the degree of my brokenness. You don't know the sin in my life. Listen, there is nothing that you and I can do that puts us outside the reach of the outstretched arm of God's grace. Nothing. Notice this as well. Israel needed to realize that being God's people and hearing from him is a privileged position. It's a big deal. And it should have been a big deal to them to realize God is still speaking to us. The word God, the word Lord rather in verse 1 is the personal name of Jehovah God. He says, I am still your personal God, and I still desire relationship with you. And being in the position of being my people to hear this word is a privileged position. Church, when we hear the word of God, it is a privileged position, and I think we forget that. When we sit under the teaching of the word, when we read this word, I think we fail to remember the gravity of what we're doing. Let me illustrate it for you this way. I know I'm in a room full of Bulldog fans. Amen. That's the only amen I'll get today, and that's okay. All right. I'm in a room full of Bulldog fans, and, and this past week we, we read about the heartbreaking news of, of Coach Richt and this diagnosis he got of, of Parkinson's. And it was really heartbreaking to read that story, but we also read in that story how he was testifying to God's faithfulness in his life and how good God was the whole time, and I was blessed by that. Well, imagine, hypothetical situation, Mark Rick calls me this week and he says, hey, pastor, I know a little town of Cave Spring, but, but I want to come and talk to the church. Whoa. 
I'm going to send out an email. I'm going to, I'm going to post things all over Facebook. I'm going to make phone calls and say, guys, Coach Rick is coming this Sunday. Can you believe it? We're going to hang flyers all over the town. That's the only time I've seen you excited. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Woohoo! That was great. Love it. Listen, he's coming. He's coming. And he's going to come spend time with us this coming Sunday. And we're going to put flyers all over town. I guarantee you, we could not hold the people in this building. And we would hang on every word. He could preach for an hour even if I can't, right? I don't have that liberty. He does. We're going to sit here and hang on every word. Why is that? Because we feel like he's got something good to say. And because of who he is. You know where I'm going with this. God help us. If we don't approach the very word of God with that same degree of anticipation. He still has this word for his people at this time. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's not always encouraging. Even if it confronts us right, right where we're sitting this morning, it is still his word. And we sit in a privileged position to hear from him. So we have to treasure hearing from God. But secondly, notice this. We must listen to God's messenger. We must listen to God's messenger. We find in verse 1 this individual named Malachi. And the reason he's probably so unfamiliar to you is because this is really the only time he's talked about. He doesn't come up a lot. He doesn't have any sense of prominence. But yet, God chooses this particular individual to speak to his people at this point in time. Understand that Malachi has a very unique meaning. And God is completely sovereign over this. And I think it's no accident that he chooses this man to speak through. Why? Because Malachi means my messenger. My messenger. It's as if God planned all of this out. God's speaking through his messenger to his people. But I want you to see that he was a prophet. Now, the reason I want to slow down here and, and really set the stage for the next eight weeks is I think, I think we have a wrong understanding of who a prophet is and what their particular office is and their purpose is in the Old Testament. So I'll walk with you through a few notes about prophets to clear up some of those misconceptions. Number one. Understand that we wrongly understand prophets to simply be ancient fortune tellers. We wrongly understand them to be ancient fortune tellers. I think for some reason we like to think that they're sitting there around a crystal ball, so to speak, and they're saying, hey, I bet this is going to happen a few years from now. And then guess what? It comes to happen. And, and, and then this prophet is proven to be a true prophet and not a false prophet. And so they're looking into the future. And I think that's where we stop so often when we define who a prophet is. But understand that prophets also spoke words into the present with an eye towards the future. It wasn't only about the future that they spoke. We tend to only emphasize the words spoken about the future because that's a lot more fun. How is it fun? Well, it's great to read the words of Isaiah and look at the person of Jesus and say, look at that. Look how all of that came to be true. And we'll look at just a few chapters or a few verses in Isaiah and recognize, look, he was a great prophet of God because Jesus did indeed come. But understand, there's a whole lot more to the book of Isaiah than just foretelling Jesus. Over and over again, he's also speaking a word into the present condition of Israel. And he is saying, this is who you are and this is who you should be. 
Understand, church, that as we walk through Malachi, we are not going to encounter a lot of future telling from Malachi. He's going to speak a great deal more into the present condition of God's people. And so as we sign up for this journey, understand that he's going to speak into our present condition as well. I read it this week from Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church. He defines prophet, a prophet very well. He says, like a megaphone held to the mouth of an announcer, the prophet stood between God and the people. At one time, God spoke directly to Adam and Eve in the garden and directly to Moses on Mount Sinai. But from then on, he has used prophets, often solitary devoted and quite lonely individuals who live secluded, extremely difficult lives. Prophets are not just fortune tellers. They are not just looking into the future. They look into the present condition. But secondly, notice this. Prophets did not aspire to the office that they held. I think oftentimes we celebrate these individuals. We say, wow, look at what they achieved. Look at who they were. Look at the position they had before God. And in our achievement-driven world, we celebrate that. But understand, there is not a prophet ever spoken of in Scripture who said, hey, I want to be a prophet. None of them signed up for this. God signed them up for it. How do we know this? Well, we understand that Jonah, he ran from the call of God. We looked at that just last year. Jonah ran in the opposite direction when God spoke to him and said, I want you to go speak to Nineveh. Then we find later on that Isaiah considered himself unworthy. What does he say? I am a man of unclean lips. I am not worthy to speak the words of God. And then if that doesn't prove the point, Jeremiah cried about being a prophet. He's known as the weeping prophet. Why? Because he realized the weight and the gravity of the words he was sharing, it was uncomfortable. It wasn't something he said, hey, pick me. No prophet, including Malachi, said, this is going to be a great deal of fun. But finally, and I think this is perhaps most important, a prophet is not the same as a pastor. A prophet is not the same as a pastor. First of all, I hope you would agree with this point of difference. Prophets were weird. Those of you that are laughing, you're laughing for one of two reasons. You think I'm weird or you understand the irony. How do we know this? In Isaiah chapter 20 and verses 1 through 4, we have this story of God calling Isaiah. I kid you not, look it up. Calls him and says, hey, for three years, you're going to walk through the temple naked. Naked to get the attention of my people. I'm not signing up for that, just so we're clear. <laughs> amen. That's a good amen. Appreciate that. Prophets were weird. Pastors and prophets are different characters. They are different people in Scripture. Understand this as well. This is more important. By the authority of God and the anointing of the Spirit, God spoke a new and a fresh word to his people through prophets. Every time a prophet spoke to the people of God, it was a new and a fresh word to get their attention. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, we, we find this. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, hear this, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. And so as we look into the New Testament, we recognize that Jesus is now this message that we see. 
God is no longer speaking through prophets. He spoke to us through the truth of the gospel. And as a pastor, I am a herald of that truth. Why is this important? As your pastor, I don't have a new and fresh word to give to you from God each week. I don't have it. It is not my authority to deliver to you a new and a fresh word to jerk you into attention. Why is this important? No one else, no other pastor has that authority either. I'll say that again. No other pastor, no other teacher has the authority to speak a new and a fresh word to God's people. Be very wary of any pastor who teaches or preaches anything besides the word of God. Everything that is spoken from the pulpit should come directly from the word of God, nothing else and nothing less. God is charging young Timothy through the apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 14 through 17. He tells Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and it leads to the ruin of those who listen. I love that. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Notice the foundation for a pastor is the word of God. When Malachi was speaking, he was not reading from a scroll. It was a new and a fresh word given to God's people at that time. But we are indeed in an interesting position now. We hold that word in our hands. Consider this word just for a moment. Given at this time through this person named Malachi. These four chapters given to them and still preserved for us to read now with unflinching accuracy. When God sees fit, church, to preserve his word given to a prophet over 2,000 years ago, for us to read it today, I think we should take it seriously. We have staked our lives, we have staked our freedoms on a far younger document. The Declaration of Independence was written not even 250 years ago. And yet men and women have given their lives for the words contained in that document. We take it seriously and we celebrate it today as a country. But God help us if his word preserved for us for over 2,000 years, 10 times the length of time, given to his people now. God help us if we don't take that even more seriously. We've understood that God speaks to his people. We should treasure hearing from God. We've seen that God gives us messengers to listen to. He's given us the messenger of Malachi. We've understood who prophets were and who pastors are and what their roles are in all of this. But now let's consider the seriousness of God's word. Let's understand the gravity of what we're about to look at. The first word of this book communicates the weight of what we're going to study. It's a word you're going to read past very quickly if you're not careful. But it's uniquely chosen and used here to speak a very particular word to us. A pronouncement, it says in verse 1. Or perhaps your Bible translates it as an oracle. This word that is used here 
is uniquely chosen and used to get the attention of the people of God. When they would have heard this word for the very first time, they would have pumped the brakes very quickly. Why? Because this word was often used and almost always used in the context of speaking to the enemies of God and not the people of God. What does that say about the position of God's people at this point? They're in a pretty tight spot. And so God uses this strong word through Malachi and says, hey, I've got an uncomfortable word to deliver to my people. We see in Isaiah chapter 13, Nahum chapter 1, and Zechariah chapter 9, this word come up again and again, every time speaking to the enemies of God. Why is this important? We get to the, the second truth about this message. Understand this, Malachi is a book full of questions. It's a book, full, a book full of questions. In fact, there are 23 questions asked over the course of just three chapters. That's a lot of questions. Why is that significant? These are hard questions, oftentimes, that the people are asking of God. Listen carefully. God is not afraid of even our biggest questions, but... We must be prepared to listen to him when he gives us the most difficult answers. Over and over again, we're going to find the people of God questioning God, asking him some very pointed and very difficult questions. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Or actually, it's just verse 2. We're going to be looking at this next week. I have loved you, says the Lord. Very direct, very forward statement, very matter of fact. Yet you ask, how have you loved us? I don't know about you, but maybe you've been there before. And you've said, God, I don't feel very loved at this moment. I don't feel very loved at this station of life that I'm in. God's not afraid of that question. But as we look further into verses 3 through 5, we see that God begins to explain to them in a very pointed and direct way, I have loved you. How have you forgotten this? Church, we can ask God questions, many questions, but we have to be prepared to hear his answers. So let's look at the overview of the book. God addresses our spiritual apathy through eight warnings that he gives over the course of these four chapters. This is going to be the content of every sermon going forward, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you and give you the overall outline of this great book. Right very quickly, we're going to move through these rapidly. In chapter 1 and verses 2 through 5, we see that God's love should be taken seriously. God's going to explain to his people, he's going to explain to us, this is how I've loved you, don't forget this. And you should always be concerned and care about it and mark it down and take it to the bank. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, we see that God's standards must be taken seriously. He's going to call his people to action and say, listen, this is what I expect of you. In chapter 2, in the first nine verses there, we see that godly leadership should be taken seriously. He says to his people, here are the leaders. This is what I expect of them and what I expect of you in relationship to them. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, we see that God's covenant must be taken seriously. Then we see that God's sovereignty must be taken seriously. In chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, we see that God's blessing must be taken seriously. If you've looked ahead to chapter 3 and verses 6 through 12, that is a message about tithing 
and the blessing of God and how we relate to that. So buckle up. I hope you still show up. Maybe some of you are looking at the calendar and saying, I don't want to come that week. We see in the end of chapter 3, we see that God's name must be taken seriously. His name is holy. And he desires for his people to give great regard to who he is as our personal loving God. And then we close in chapter 4 with perhaps the most wonderful expectation given of us as his people. But I think something that we have indeed become so apathetic concerning. We have given little concern and little, little care to the promise of God. God's people, I know it's cut off there at the bottom there, God's promise must be taken seriously. God has a great promise for his people as he lays out all of these expectations of who we are to be as his people, but he closes with a good word that gives us great hope. Let's go back to that question I asked you at the very beginning of the sermon. Would you consider taking an inventory of your spiritual condition? There's one of two ways you can respond to this message today. The first way is this. You could say, you know what? I didn't sign up for Sunday school this morning. I know we walked through a lot of stuff about who prophets were, the overview of the Old Testament, all that stuff. I didn't sign up for any of that. I've got better things to do today. And you could wipe this message from your memory. But I hope this is your response. I don't think it's a big ask from the Word of God this morning. Would you just consider taking seriously your spiritual condition. Consider with me just for a moment that over the next eight weeks, you're going to say, all right, God, I'm laying myself bare. This is who I am, warts and all. Show me who you want me to be. When we talk about these expectations he has of us, I know it's going to be uncomfortable at times. It's going to certainly be challenging. But make a commitment this morning while we're singing together that you're signing up for this. That even if you miss next week or a week down the road, you're going to go back and listen. And you're going to dig deep into this word. Listen, I've told you where we're headed. You know exactly where we're going to be every single week of this series. Go ahead and read that in preparation for Sunday. Open your heart to the Lord and open his word and say, all right, Lord, here's where we're going. I know what's ahead. This is who I am. Reveal to me who I am and who you desire for me to be. Use your word to shine this light into my life. Why is this so important? And why do I plead with you to take this seriously? Look at Malachi chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. Some of you have already closed your Bibles. Just flip open there real quick. Again, we're looking at this several weeks from now. But I want us to see it now as well. God speaks to Malachi and he says, speaks through Malachi, For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. That's a very dark picture of the judgment of God. And if we fail to take seriously who we are, whether we've been here for 30 minutes or 30 years, if we fail to take an inventory of our spiritual condition before God and say, number one, am I even a child of God? If we fail to make note of this, 
All we have is verse 1. But look at verse 2. But, that's so good. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. What a beautiful picture of joy. What a beautiful picture of unrelenting happiness. So I invite you this morning to consider your position before God. As we sing in just a moment, just lay yourself open before the Lord and say, all right, Lord, I'm on board. What you speak to me, I will hear. And I desire to move towards you.